Good morning. We're reading from Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Moreh. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going towards the Negev. Now there was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarah, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance, and when the Egyptians see you, they will say, This is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. When Abraham entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful, and when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abram, and he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarah, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say, she is my sister, so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. So Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife, 
and all that he had, and lot with him, into the Negev, thanking the Lord for his word. Good morning, everyone. So, as Clint said, a bit of a different uh, church experience for me this morning. I'm only used to seeing the back of your heads sitting back there. Um, and um, instead of running a live stream presentation, uh, I'll also be uh, presenting God's um, word to you this morning. Um, this is a bit of an easier uh, task from a technological standpoint. I don't have to worry about this book having an internet sta- um, a stable internet connection, for example. But um, keeping that in mind, one thing which we can't master without God's help is his word. So let's approach God as we ask him for help in understanding what he's speaking to us today. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for your word. Thank you that you speak clearly to us. And thank you that we have Abram um, as an example both in how we should live in faith to you and also how we should not. Help us to understand um, what you are speaking to us and that we may be focused on what we are to learn and how to apply your word in our lives today. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, back in the day, I used to love my video games. I would keep up to date with all of the um, upcoming releases. And back in 2014, a game had me really excited. This game was called No Man's Sky, and it was a procedurally generated space exploration game where you could explore millions upon millions of planets. And attached to this project was a laundry list of promises. I'll read them out to you. These were things like large-scale ship battles, being able to play with your friends, animals interacting with each other in varied ecosystems, landing on asteroids, as well as a gripping story that avoided repetition, and lots more. Well, when the game was released, none of this was present. And the controversy was huge. Big game outlets like Steam, Sony, and Amazon all ended up giving exceptions to their refunds policies just because of how many refunds they were getting. And this was unheard of back then. Now, we've all experienced people not keeping their promises, whether it's game developers, politicians, or even our friends and family. But today I'm hoping to show you a God who never does this. In fact, this God ensures that his promises are kept despite the weak faith of those he gives them to. And so, Abram's faith will be our example as we work through our passage. But before we see his weak faith, I think it's helpful to see what strong faith looks like first. And verses 1 to 9 shows us this, as Abram believes God's promises and does what he says. 
This part of our passage deals with the positive aspects of Abram, giving us an example to follow. Let's begin with our first three verses. So verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. These verses are essential as it provides us a framework for the entire chapter. It gives us a reference. It allows us to see whether or not Abram's on the right path. And it contains three important points. The first is at the end of verse 1, where we have the promise of land. The second, in verse 2, is the promise of offspring, seen in the creation of a great nation. And third is blessing and protection, found in both verses 2 and 3. And again, to repeat and summarize, the three points are land, offspring, blessing, and protection. So moving on to verses 4 to 6 now. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, and his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Moreh. At that time, there were Canaanites in the land. So here we see, Abram listens, he believes, and takes action. And keep in mind, these are some audacious claims from God. He doesn't provide any miracles or great signs either. All Abram gets is a voice filled with impossible promises. This is because if you read the previous chapter in verse 30, it states that Sarai is actually barren, meaning offspring are off the table. That would make the creation of a great nation rather difficult. But regardless of how outlandish this all sounds, Abram still takes action. He believes that God can um, accomplish these uh, impossible things. And so he leaves his homeland, a place in the Middle East called Haran. He gathers an entourage and ventures into the unknown lands of Canaan, 640 kilometers away. So, let's picture this scenario. Everyone here has decided that we're going to be taking a road trip down to Port Macquarie, and Grace Christian Church has um, paid for a massive bus to take us there. But everyone here is going to be bringing their babies, their children, and all of their family. And these are pre-COVID days, so we're able to cram people into this bus. Now, all in all, this cramped and smelly bus trip will take us about seven hours uh, of driving, not including all the necessary stops we'll have to take. And this was similar to Abram's journey, yet with even more people and no motor vehicles. He had to use donkeys or camels as the means of transportation, as well as livestock to feed them. It was a slow and difficult trek with regular stops in order to care for their families. 
and it would have taken months of travel into unknown lands. And these are huge, that would have been a huge challenge for Abram. But his willingness to listen to God and journey into the lands of Canaan is an outworking of his trust in the Lord. So, from this faith and trust, Abram gets his reward. Look at verse 7 with me. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. Now there are two rewards given here. The first is God confirms his promises of land to Abram and shows him where his offspring will be. The second is a bit more subtle, but still important. Abram finally gets to meet the person who is behind the promise. Look again at verse 7, and you'll see the text stresses God's appearance, both at the beginning of the verse and then at the end again. On top of that, in the very same verse, we see another positive example of Abram's faith. He builds an altar dedicated to God, which acts as a physical reminder of his meeting with the Lord. It memorializes the fact that he has reached the unknown land he was promised. Think of it kind of like the moon landing. After all of humanity's hard work in attempting to reach the moon, the flag we left behind states, we made it. And Abram's altar does the same. It signifies that the land he's reached is under God's blessing and will eventually be given to his offspring. Now, verse 8 is interesting as it shows Abram's gratitude of everything that's happened so far. What he does is he freely builds another altar without God having done anything or given any more promises. Abram desires to worship. So he calls out to God, which is the inverse of what our passage started. And it concludes with verse 9, with a blessed Abram traveling deeper into the lands of Canaan. So, everything we've looked at gives us a great look into the character of what a Christian should be through Abram's experience. Specifically, anyone who claims to follow God will make the necessary sacrifices in light of what he said. God is speaking to us now through the very words in this book. So, are you listening? Well, when God spoke to me, he told me I had to repent and believe in Jesus Christ. And I was told to no longer solely trust myself and seeking my own self-fulfillment. Instead, I needed to trust Jesus and find my fulfillment in what he wants. This repentance of principles, so to speak, meant I had to make some big lifestyle changes. No more sexual partners. No more um, pride in my own intellectual prowess. No more making decisions based upon my own ideas of happiness. And even though this is tough, following God is beneficial. It's easier to be content knowing that God is always with you. Also, when I think of my experiences as a non-Christian, 
It's just something I never want to go back to. There were so many foolish and sinful decisions I made, which are actually still impacting me to this day. I still have to deal with these things. And so this is why I want to build the case that prioritizing God over our own ambitions is always worth it. He is someone who's never going to let us down. So the outcome of putting our faith in him won't ever lead to disappointment. And Abram's journey in Genesis 12 reveals this. So, we've ended on a high note. Abram has faith as he listens and does what God says. He understands that this God will give him offspring, even with a barren wife. And he understands that these offspring will eventually be given the land which he's traveling. And through all of his journey, he knows he is being blessed and accompanied by this God. But Abram is human after all, and his faithful streak does not last. And this is because Abram stops trusting God due to hardship, which leads to sin. This hardship seems to stem from a severe famine which we see in the first sentence of verse 10. So I quote, Now there was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. So Abram makes the obvious choice here. He leaves the promised land and heads to Egypt for refuge. But based upon what happens next, I think the author is actually treating this as a negative move from Abram. It's an act of faithlessness, even with the famine being considered. So look at me at verses look with me at verses 11 to 13. When he, that is Abram, was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know you are a beautiful woman in appearance, and when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife, then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. So, in order to escape the famine and take refuge in Egypt, Abram has to sell off his wife. At least he's enough of a gentleman to compliment her beauty before he gives her off as a concubine to Pharaoh. But it's really messed up, isn't it? But there's actually even something worse about this situation. Not only has Abram left the promised land, but by giving away Sarai... He's actually given up the possibility of offspring. Sarai now belongs to Pharaoh's household, abandoned by her husband. And Abram, meanwhile, reaps the benefits of his sin. We see this in verse 16. He's given the sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels, all as a bridal dairy. Now, as bad as Abram's sin is already, I don't think he would completely abandon his wife. 
But this means that he's forced to stay in Egypt, unable to return to the lands God wants him in. And because of his lapse in faith, he sins in self-preservation. And I'm sure Abram believes he's done the right thing, saying to himself, this God has promised me great things, and I'm going to make sure that they will happen. But an objective look says otherwise. His decisions have actually compromised the very things he was trying to protect, namely the promise of offspring and land. Abram's weak faith has exposed itself. Instead of helping the situation, his actions has made everything worse. Now, Australia's a bit like Canaan in that um, we experience a farming famine every now and then. But back in the 1930s, Australian farmers were experiencing a cane sugar problem. This was caused by a cane beetle um, eating the crops, and so the government was pressured to find a solution. And many were tested and suggested, but these were either too expensive or inefficient. So, in hops, our beloved warty cane toad. This was a cheap solution, but did not have the rigorous testing behind it. The only thing they had going for them was that they ate beetles in the Americas. So, they were released into the wild, and they thrived. The bad news is they didn't end up eating the cane beetles, and instead became a pest. Just like Abram, uh, the government saw an easy but poorly thought out solution to their problem, and it ended up making everything worse. And we can be a bit the same in our own lives. We can think of these poorly and easy solutions to difficult problems. And if you've decided to follow God, he expects you to be faithful. But, like Abram, we can forget this when difficult times hit us. And there will be periods in your life where you will have to deal with serious, serious problems due to living in this world. Things like death and suffering. So the question is, how will you deal with these things? Will you use alcohol or drugs, legal or otherwise, to drown your sorrows? Will you seek to distract yourself in your career? Or will you completely cut yourself off from the world, satisfied by just staying at home with the TV or the computer? These behaviors don't lead to positive outcomes and always make the situation worse. Asking God for help and then reaching out to other people is the first obvious step. But that's why church is so great. We're all in this together. We all have to live in this difficult world. And we need to help each other out as we have the tendency, like Abram, to make easy but poorly thought out decisions. But going back to Abram, the question stands. What's going to happen with God's promises? Abram's made a complete mess of things. No more offspring, no more land, no more great nation, nor name. And by his behavior, he seems none the wiser about how much is actually at stake. All because Abram turned from God in his times of difficulty and sinned, leading to these harmful decisions. But God... 
has promised Abram blessing and protection. And he will save him out of the horrible situation Abram made for himself. This is because, despite Abram's serious sins, God ensures his promises are fulfilled. We actually see this in verse 17, which says, But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, his wife. Now, notice here, it is primarily for Sarai's sake that God rescues her, not Abram's, which provides a contrast to what happened back in verse 13. Back then, Abram claimed that Sarai's well-being was dependent upon him. Here God is saying, Sarai's well-being is dependent upon God. But an added benefit is that God has fixed Abram's sin against Sarai, saving her from engaging in the sexual immorality with Pharaoh, as well as the promise of offspring. Now, Abram gets a serious rebuke from Pharaoh after this. Um, Verses 18 to 19 reads, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me she was your wife? Why did you say, she is my sister, so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh's not wrong. He gives an accurate assessment of the situation. But my question was, in approaching this part of the passage, is why doesn't Pharaoh just kill Abram? And he gets to keep his wife, as well as the dowry he gave away. Well, I think the answer is Pharaoh is actually operating under the morals of his Egyptian paganism. And he's actually ignorant of Abram's God. This is a very different situation to um, the Pharaoh of Exodus and Moses challenging his false gods. The Pharaoh of Genesis, through God's providence and working, is allowed to view these plagues as something which his own gods have done. Egypt was under their protection, after all. It's as if his gods are angry with him at taking another man's wife. And so killing Abram um, would perhaps just make them even angrier. So he relents. And isn't this ironic? Here is a non-believer who's faithful to his non-existent deities. Whereas the one who follows the real God has forgotten about him. But with this in mind, it helps us explain verse 20. This reads, and Pharaoh, gave them men, and Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. I think Pharaoh just doesn't want to take any risks with Abram. <laughs> he, he sends him off under armed guard, ignorant that this is all of God's working. <clears throat> but even though... Pharaoh was unaware that Sarai was Abram's wife. He was still about to dishonor Abram by taking her as his wife. And this is why God intervened. Now, after this, we're given the satisfying conclusion to why God has orchestrated these events. 
Chapter 13, verse 1 says, So Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and lot with him, into the Negev. Abram's going back to Canaan, God's promised land. Now, for those who haven't heard of Dr. Jordan Peterson, he's a very famous psychologist who has some fascinating opinions on both the Bible and Jesus Christ. But when asked if he believes in God, he said this, I don't like that question, so I sat and thought about it for a good while, and I tried to figure out why. And I thought, well, who would have the audacity to claim that they believed in God? If they examined the way they lived, who would dare say that? And he's right, isn't he? There are some big expectations behind being a believer of this God. So much so that many outside the church see Christians as hypocrites. Now, whether or not that's true, I think everyone can at least agree that the church is full of sinners. And so... Turn to Romans chapter 5, verses 6 to 8. And I'll just read it for those of you with only have the order of service. So chapter 5, verses 6 to 8 says, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to even die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jordan Peterson has missed the graciousness of God. We believe in God because we are people of weak faith as well as being sinners. This means that our lives will be filled with messiness and contradictions, just like Abram. Now, even though this is true, it doesn't mean that we neglect on dealing with our sins. It is necessary for a Christian to figure out practical solutions to their problems. Do you struggle with sexual immorality? Who are those keeping you accountable then? What software do you have on your computer or phone to stop you from feeding your lust? Or do you perhaps struggle to love and engage with someone from church or even secular life? Perhaps you could find out what hobbies or interests that person enjoys and share in that pastime. And this hobby may be unappealing. I mean, something like maybe rugby or cricket, I don't know. (laughs) But regardless... Something as small as this is a way to love your neighbor. It helps getting over that social barrier of perhaps an age gap uh, or maybe conflicting personalities or um, even a belief system. It's a good faith exercise to put ourselves in an uncomfortable um, situation for the sake of others. Also, having people accountable for your sins maintains the integrity of our faith. But, and I stress this, remember, we we don't get things right all the time. We inevitably end up failing, sometimes even publicly disgracing ourselves in front of either church or even society. But Jesus died for the weak and ungodly, not for those who are strong and self-dependent. 
The salvation found in his death and resurrection is guaranteed even with our flawed faith in him. In light of Christ's hardship in his crucifixion, our hardship in struggling with sin is always worth it. But Abram also fits this category. He's a weak and sinful man who has made some awful choices, one of the worst being the mistreatment of his wife. But in spite of this, God has blessed him and is continuously protecting him. God ensures that the promises he made to Abram will happen. And there's no accident or sin on Abram's part that is able to get in the way. In the end, Abram heads back to where God wants him. He will continue to stumble into the future with God being there to protect him and correct him. So to finish off, God ensures that his promises are kept despite the weak faith of those he gives them to. Abram's story has shown us this. And first, he believes uh, in the promises of God and does what he says. Secondly, the hardships cause Abram's to stop trusting God and leading to sin. And lastly, God keeps his promises despite Abram's serious sins. It's encouraging to know that the same God working in Abram's life 4,000 years ago is working in all of us today. And when we imitate Abram in sin, we still know that God will keep his promises to us. Namely, this is the salvation we find in his son, Jesus Christ, which you can enjoy even with a weak faith. Let's pray.